If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 5, uh, verses 31 through 37. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers will be coming up and down the aisle to give you one. Um, there's kind of this, this movement for evangelism in the church, and it's been going on for a long time, and I don't know if it's necessarily like new, but, but it's this idea that, that if we're going to share Christ, we have to share Christ by the way we live our life, by the way we do it. And people misquote um, Francis in that whole, that whole quote and everything, but they, there's this idea that I don't need to tell you about Jesus. I'm just going to live my life, and by the way I live my life, you'll know about Jesus. But there's, there's, a, there's a couple problems with that. And I think that the basis of that is true, and I think we're called to live that way. But there's, there's two glaring problems with it. Um, a lot of times is, is, is the first one is the fact that sometimes the things we do are the opposite of what we say. That's the first issue. We, we, so it's this idea of like, um, well, I, I, I know that this is what I'm doing, but really you start saying things differently. And the second problem with this is that, that in our lives, our words, our, our voice, our mouths, hold little value in trustworthiness. And, and the reason why it's okay, well, if you just live your life, but the problem is, is that I can live my life saying I'm serving Jesus, but if everything that comes out of my mouth doesn't prove that, doesn't prove to be trustworthy, doesn't prove to be um, upright or valuable, then, then really, no matter how many good things I do, people are still going to see me as a hypocrite. See, and it's, it's interesting because the book of James talks specifically about our mouth over and over and over again about, about doing this and being upright and what comes out of the mouth. And, 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 and in fact, James in, in, Ma, in or five, chapter 5, 12 says, but above all, this is after he's talking about faith and all these other aspects. He says, but above all, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, that you may f- not fall under condemnation. And when we hit that section um, back when we were doing James, I, I made a joke about my wife and I um, and getting ready. And so if you're here, you know the story. It's basically that, that Jen and I have this, we have this problem where I'm like, hey, are you ready to go? And she says yes as she's brushing her teeth. So when I say ready, I actually mean like we're, we're going. You know, her ready is, well, I still got to put my shoes on and got to do this and make a snack or whatever for the kids. So we change it to are you ready? Ready is what it is now. So you know like with Jen, if you want to get her to go, like you got to say, hey, are you ready? Ready. Basically meaning that when, she, when I say ready, ready, it's like we're actually leaving. Ready doesn't count. And, and although that's, that's fun, and, and I'm not trying to throw her under the bus because I do a lot of things that aren't great either. Um, I'll share some of those in a little bit. But, but the point of it is, is that even in the little things in our life, in the littlest things in our lives, we have this issue with truth. We have this issue where we realize that our word holds no value. And Jesus, as he's been talking about this section, he comes out of the, the, the Beatitudes about this blessing that we can have and, and how our lives are going to look at this. And then he comes right into, look, you are to live a life as salt and light. So that means that those, are in, those who are in Christ are going to look different than those who are not. That means that the way that we live our lives will, will, will be salty and will, will, will point out darkness and will, will illuminate the life pointing to the glory of Christ. And then he goes into the section that we're in where he he's basically says, look, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then Jesus says the most intriguing thing at the end of that. In verse 20, he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on into the section which we've talked about. The first week was murder, and he has this massive statement of, of you know, you, you've heard that you shouldn't murder. Well, I'm telling you, if you hate your brother, it's, it's just the same. And then what we talked about last week, well, you've heard you shouldn't commit adultery, but, but if you're lusting, it's just the same. And then he hits in this section, in, in 31 through 37, he comes in and he says a little bit about divorce and then goes into oaths. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to actually 
lump those two together. Not because I didn't want to talk about divorce, but as I studied it, um, Matthew 19, Jesus spells out a lot more about divorce. So we're going to spend a bunch of time on divorce when we hit that. Real quickly before I jump in, I wanted to talk about it. My assumption is that every single one of us in here has a family member, a friend, or are experiencing or have yourself experienced divorce. My, my assumption is that, that it, it's the statistics prove that in the church and out of the church, they're exactly the same, the divorce rate. And, and, and my, my belief is that you maybe as a married person are struggling or wrestling with this or you're considering it or you're, you're, really, you're really battling through it or you have a family member that's battling through it or your parents are battling through it. Here's my encouragement on this section and then we'll come back to it in Matthew 19. Don't do it alone. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what it is. We know that God divined marriage as a, as a, as a permanent thing and a beautiful thing, and divorce is, is an aspect of sin in this world. And he gives us some grounds and some ideas of where it can be okay or whatever, and you can, like I said, we'll dig really deep into that later. But, but my assumption is if you're dealing with that, you're probably trying to think you need to do it alone, that people hate you or that maybe you think maybe you're solving some problem. Like, oh, this is just going to solve the problem. Well, realistically, it's just maybe alleviating the immediate pain but causing a bunch more problems. And so, so my encouragement would be if you are in a marriage or you have a friend that's dealing with it, allow community, people that love Jesus, to come around you and to, 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 to pour some grace and truth into the situation. Don't take it lighthearted. It's a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that, that Jesus lumps in the middle of all these things from murder and, and adultery and divorce, and he says oaths, this idea of your word having some weight to it. And so I, I just would say, and we'll come back again, we'll hit it in Matthew 19, if divorce is in your life or you've, you've dealt with it or you're wrestling with it or you're on the flip side of divorce, don't live life isolated. Don't withdraw from community because of that. Allow God's community to come to you. Allow him to come around you and to saturate you with both truth and grace. So the problem was in this time is that, is that similar to today, there's not a lot of integrity in those who profess to follow Christ. See, I, I say that meaning like I'm not laying my wife out before the bus in the sense, well, she, she really meant her word that when I said ready, she would actually be ready and not just have to wait for ready, ready. So she's a liar, and I'm not saying that. I mean, well, in a way she is, but look, we're all liars, okay? <laughs> but here, here's the point. What I'm saying is, is, that, is that our word has lost its weight in it. And even those of us that profess to follow Christ can't trust one another. In the, in the confines of marriage, we can't trust another, one another. Whether it's sarcasm or humor or just the fact that we flat out lie. And we've even set standards of lies. Well, this is a really big lie and this is just a slight lie. Or I'm protecting them if I just don't tell the truth now because the lie is already in existence, which isn't truth. And so what Jesus is doing is he, he's coming in and dealing with the fact there was a thing around oaths. And the Jews in that time, what they would do is they would make an oath. And Jesus isn't saying that no oaths are allowed at all. In fact, it's very clear God made an oath with Abraham. We see it all over the Old Testament. We also see Hebrews 6.13 and Luke 1.73. Jesus spoke under oath in court in Matthew 26. So there's oaths. In fact, we know that marriage is an oath before God when you exchange vows. And that was set up and designed by God. The Apostle Paul made oaths in Romans 1, 2 Corinthians 1, Galatians 1, and 2 Thessalonians 2. So oaths happen, but, but the issue was in this time is, is, is similar to, I think, the context of what's going on today. Is that, is that we, what they would say was, okay, well, I will pay you this. And there was no value in 
Joe saying he's going to pay me. So they would say, well, then I swear on my mother's grave that I'll pay you, which they could have been having their fingers crossed the whole time saying, you know, it doesn't really matter because if I don't pay you, there's nothing going to happen. My mom's still in grave. And what they did is they started doing these things. Well, they couldn't bring God's name into it because they were, they were worried about that you shouldn't take God's name in vain. And they also recognized that, that history has shown that, that when God is a part of the covenant or God is a part of the plan, that he holds you accountable to actually doing it. And so they started using things like, well, okay, well, then I swear on my head. But no one would really murder him for that because then they would be under punishment of the law. And so then they would say things like, okay, well, I, 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 will, I promise on the, the um, not the temple, but the gold that's in the temple. And then they made laws around that saying, well, no, you can only promise on the temple, but not the gold. And there was this mess where basically no one could be trusted in what they said. Everything was, okay, I will do this on my head. This is where we get the term swear to God. People say this all the time, I swear to God. And it's so common for us. It's such a normal conversation for all of us that we all do it. We all do it. The other day I was talking to my oldest daughter and I was like, hey, Ava, you know daddy really loves you. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, well, you promise? I'm trying to tell my daughter that her yes isn't valuable enough, that she needs to tell me again. So I'm aiding in her to tell her, like, look, just saying yes isn't enough. You need to affirm that more. And what happens is our, is our, is our, our word is, is useless and powerless. And if we're called to be light and salt, then our words got to look a lot different than those of the world. And so, so Jesus is dealing with this idea, that they, this nasty habit of, of making oaths so that you could break them. If I could just find something to promise on so that it, when I don't do it, nothing's really going to hold me accountable. And so what he's saying is don't make an oath by any of these things. Stop that. So let's, let's look at the text real quick. We'll read it, and then we'll, we'll dig in. Um, verses 31 through 37. Chapter 5. It was, also sa- it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this, anything other than yes or no, comes from evil. So in the middle of this text, Jesus is, is, is coming to our mouth and saying what you actually say, what you actually say is, is very valuable. And this is of all the things that they had heard and all the wrong interpretations, like I said, he lays oaths up with divorce, adultery, and murder. He puts this one in the middle of all this. And so there's, there's obviously something big to this. And so my hope is that through this text today that you'll see some value in actually being honest and being truthful. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth, not what you eat, not what, you, what food you do, but what comes out of, the heart, out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person, defiles a person. That, so what comes out of me is what defiles. So he's very adamant about what we do or don't say. Which makes sense if, if, if our righteousness is to surpass that of the Pharisees and the scribes to enter the kingdom of heaven, then it makes sense that my yes should actually mean yes. And my no, no. Ephesians 4, after talking about 
who we are in Christ and what he's done for us and, and all this amazing thing is how he's, he's made us this new creation. He says, therefore, in Ephesians 4, 25, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So speak the truth. This, is, this means that like when you say you're going to be home, you actually come home at that time. It means if you tell your kids you're going to do something, that you actually do that. If you stand on the altar with your wife and you make a vow, you actually follow through with those. And I understand that we can't control every circumstance. In the book of James, although he talks about our mouth, that you can't control every single circumstance. You don't know what tomorrow brings. The life is a vapor. So you may have every intention of following through on someone and someone else may not. You may have every intention of actually, of actually keeping your word, but, but it doesn't work out because of time or circumstances or death or separation. Again, I'm not saying you're accountable to that, but what Jesus is saying is, is you, if you profess to follow Jesus, you as a disciple of Jesus, your word needs to be truth. When I'm doing a wedding, it's interesting, I've done a number of weddings, and when I'm doing a wedding, I've never had to, when we exchange the vows, like, you know, do you, do you, or what they write their own vows, and it's real pretty, and everyone kind of cries. At the end of the vows, and everything goes there, I don't stop after they've done those vows, and I look at them and go, okay, now, are you sure that that's what you want to do? Now, are you sure that that's what you want to do? But yet, in some of the weddings I've done, one of the, one of the weddings I've done, six months is how long it lasted. So we can stand in a union bef- before God and make vows, but they hold no weight. Now, that's a big example. Let me use a small example. I have a daughter who's three, has very, very curly hair, and she is obsessed probably in a bad way with Rapunzel and wants long Rapunzel hair, okay? And I have my own obsessions where I think it's the most adorable thing with little piggies in their hair, but she hates getting her hair done. So I lied to her and told her that, hey, Olivia, if you want your hair to be long like Rapunzel, put it in pigtails. It helps it grow faster. Now, I know that's wrong, okay? <laughs> okay? Here's the sick thing about that. All week long, I've studied, and that didn't come to my mind until I was standing in front of the first service. And I realized that I have willingly lied to my daughter for something as simple as pigtails. And see, so here's, here's the problem with that, is if I can do it with the small things, at what point is Olivia going to realize that her hair doesn't grow longer because of pigtails and she's going to think her dad's a liar? And then I'm going to try and tell her something important. Like, hey, Jesus loves you. Yeah, yeah, you know, you lied about the pigtails. I know that's an extreme example. But the point is, is if we're okay with lying, then the very thing that we're doing is saying that our word doesn't matter. And you know what? You can never really tell if we're truthful. And so that's what the Jews are doing. Well, then I will do an oath by this. And he's basically saying you can't swear by heaven because that's God's. You can't swear by the earth because it's his. It's Jesus's. You can't swear by your head because that's Jesus. It's all property of him. And therefore, your word is binding because the presence of God, if you are a follower of him, is in you. And therefore, you are to be truthful. So where are you not allowing your yes to be yes and your no to be no? So here's one of the things I realize that we lie sometimes thinking that we're protecting people. If I, if I tell the truth, like I have to go tell my three-year-old now, like forgive me, I lied to you. Um, she may be very hurt by that. Again, it's a three-year-old. It's an it's a extreme example. But my, my assumption is that you've been lying to someone in your life and you've been withholding information. You've been holding back and your fear is, well, if I tell them now, it's just going to hurt them, so I'll protect them. That's a lie. God would never 
call you to sin to protect someone else. See, here's, here's the thing. What you're basically saying is that you can control what people think or do. In fact, the reason why we lie, let's be honest, the reason why we lie is because we find more value in our reputation among men than our identity in Christ. So therefore, I'm going to fib, I'm going to bend, I'm going to twist, I'm going to pretend, I'm going to embellish, I'm going to exaggerate. All those things that someone can see something a little bit better about me so I can control how they view about me or their view towards me, when really all that matters is my identity in Christ. So lying is, is, is a big deal. Yes and no are big things. As a disciple of Christ, we have to let the Holy Spirit inside of us transform us to actually be honest. So what is it with you? Is it just making these promises to your kids that you never intend to keep? Just to shut them up at the moment? I'm guilty of that. Can't watch the movie. Why? I don't know. I just don't want you to. I can't say that. So I make up some story. Well, you know, the TV's broken. I'm just kidding. I'm not that bad. Not that bad. Doing things that you said you would do with your kids. Maybe it's finally quitting what you said you would quit over and over again. Maybe it's, it's recognizing that God's word, as we've been working through, like even last week with lust and, and, and what that is, you're saying, oh, yeah, God's calling me to do that, so I need to do that. Well, let your yes be yes and do that. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's, it's a bigger issue than you realize. And so what I wanted to do real quickly is, is put this in the context of, of our relationship with Christ. See, I think a lot of us believe that we can compartmentalize our life. In fact, I'm proof of the fact that as I studied all week long, I had no idea I was actively lying to my three-year-old. And we compartmentalize our lives and think, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little white lie, and it's going to cause more trouble, or, you know, everything's fine. And we think that we can compartmentalize our lives and that that has no effect on us. That being, being a, a, a liar, let's be honest, if you say one lie, you are a liar. That, that's the truth. Good news is Jesus died for liars. But the truth of it still is, is one lie is a lie. And so... So you compartmentalize your life and you think, well, okay, you know what? It's okay. There's a story in John 15 where Jesus talks about this tree, tree and fruit. And there's a, it's a ton and we can't go into it necessarily. But this idea is that Jesus says, look, a tree either bears good fruit or bad fruit. You don't have a tree that does both. There's no tree that does in this, this generalization of, oh, well, here's, here's the, this week I give bad fruit and this week I give good fruit. It's like the tree does one or the other. Jesus uses another thing where he talks about vine and branches dying and those need to be cut off, which I think is valuable. But, but the point for this story is essentially that, that as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, I think that we believe sometimes that there's a third kind of tree. We believe that, okay, when it comes to truthfulness and honesty, I love Jesus and Jesus is awesome, but I don't have to be honest. I can keep lying and that's okay. I'm the third kind of tree. I'm the tree that this week I'm just going to bear some bad fruit. But Sundays, man, I got that fruit down. You need all day long from this stuff. It's good. And I think the point that Jesus is making is, look, there is no third kind of tree. See, I think the problem with some of us is that we've, we've whatever it was, we, we prayed some prayer when we were 13 years old or 12 years old or 10 years old or we accepted Christ and we said yes to him at some point in some emotional moment, but then we saw nothing from that point on, but we just assumed we got our insurance and we're covered. And Jesus says, look, a good tree bears good fruit. Now, I understand this can make a very big works-based 
salvation, and that's not what I'm saying. We know that Jesus is talking about our heart first. But a heart that is transformed by him will produce fruit. It will. There will be branches that mess up, that need to be cut away, and it's painful. But when it comes to your yes or no, when it comes to someone having the integrity to stand up and say, look, this is my word. You don't have to say, I promise, or I'm with a sugar on top, or no, I swear I'll do this. This is awesome. I, I. We can actually just say yes. Yes, and that will happen. See, Jesus' hope, and Mike talked about this a long time ago when we were at Salt and Light, but was, was that we would live in a way that our life would look different than that of the world. And people would see what we're doing, and they wouldn't look at us and say, wow, you're amazing. You're so awesome. Your marriage is great. They would glorify God in us. And some of you right now, you're so full of deceit and lies that you believe you're actually protecting someone by still lying to them. Some of you, you're so, you're so deceived that you have nothing wrong. I started an email this last week, and I can't remember who it was to, so some of you guys that got emails from me are going to be like, hmm. Anyways, I was writing this email, and I, I don't remember what it was I said, but it was something that, like, made the circumstance sound better or holier or whatever it was. And I was like, hmm, and I'm like, and that's a lie. Delete, 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 delete. It's so common in all of us to just fib. You know another way we do it? Oh, I'll pray for you. Do you really pray for him? That's a lie. Hey, I, I, was really, I was really concerned. I want to help, and I'm here for you, but please don't call me this week because I'm really busy. If you're thinking that in your lie. Maybe it's a dating relationship. No, no, I really like you. Don't call me. Those are lies. <laughs> you're not letting someone down easy. What you're doing is you're lying to them. And I understand that we can be gracious. But see, Jesus fully encompassed grace and truth at the same time. He was never grace without truth or truth without grace. They go hand in hand. If you profess to follow Jesus, if you're a disciple of him, then your yes has to mean yes. In fact, I did a word study. I studied in Hebrew and Greek and English and the ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. You know what yes means in all of those? Yes. That's what it means. There's no other hidden meaning. It's not like this. It's not like there's some f- fancy word that, that makes it different. It just means yes. And maybe if that means that I did the definition wrong by saying the word and the definition, whatever. The point is, is it means yes. So when you say yes, it means yes. When you say no, it means no. As followers of Jesus, we shouldn't have to hear someone say, I shouldn't have to ask my daughter, do you know that, that I love you? And then say, well, do you promise? showing my own insecurity to a five-year-old. Our yes is to be a yes. And it seems so silly to me that God slips this in all, Matthew's penning this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing down the account of Jesus' story. And this is what Jesus talks about in the middle of murder and hatred and, and adultery and, and all these other things and enemies we're going to get to. Like this, some really, really intense stuff. And in here, of all the things, he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what I realized, what I realized is that for us, the issue is when it comes to Christ in our life, 
The issue is, is, that, is that if I said yes to Christ, now you can theologically debate that or whatever, but if I said yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm surrendered to what you did for me on the cross, then my life should be marked by that yes. And the problem is, is some of us, we never really, really committed to that. We committed to the idea of it. We liked, we liked the, the generalized version of Jesus that was nice and awesome, but then when he started pushing into the things of us that weren't of him and trying to strip us of them, we started grabbing on, holding on, and going, no, I can't let go of that. And really, when it comes to Jesus, our yes is more of a maybe or when it's convenient. Today it works. And the instant, the instant someone pushes the hot spot, some new topic comes out that proves that maybe God isn't just love, but there's other attributes of who he is, and you start running. Whoa, whoa, that's not my God, whoa. The point is, is, is that Jesus holds us accountable. If we're going to be salt and light, we are accountable to what comes out of our mouth. And I'm only capable of doing and saying the right things if my heart has been transformed by him first. So this isn't some like, okay, that's it, but I'd be willing to bet right now that every single one of you in here has figured out one kind of fib or a white lie that you've little had, whatever it may be, whatever you want to try and diminish it. Well, it's not really a lie. It's just an exaggeration. We've come up with all sorts of classes of lies. It's, that's the thing about truth is truth is truth. Any slight variance of it is, is no longer truth. So if you profess to follow Jesus, if you are a disciple of him, if you believe in that, then, then some of you, you know what this means? That means some of you, you got to make it right. Like, I'm going to go make it right with my three-year-old today. You guys can <laughs> hold me out. There may be some crying. Who knows what's going to happen? Pray their hair grows faster. Like, whatever happens. But, but I'm going to make it right with her. But there's also other circumstances in which I need to make right, too. There aren't with three-year-olds. With friends. Coworkers, spouses, family members. We all have them. And right now, the enemy would love for you to believe the lie that you're protecting them by holding it in. And you know what that's doing? Is it's killing you inside. It's, it's a root of something that is not connected to him. And so if you've been lying, if you've been dishonest, extend it. Now, that being said, married couples, so we don't have a bunch of fights in here, which we probably will, but married couples, when your spouse is honest with you, it is the perfect time to extend grace. Perfect time to extend grace. It'd be really easy to be hurt, and not feel like you can trust them from then on, but, but what they're doing is, is pursuing you and truth, not keeping a wall in between. So when someone comes to you and says, look, I've been lying to you, it may hurt. In fact, it may be really sickening for some of you. But that's where we get to experience and extend grace. And if you ever think of a spot, well, I can't ever forgive someone for that, well, then just put that circumstance on you in Christ and see if he actually viewed that towards you. You can't forgive them of this. Well, is that how Christ extends his grace to you? Band's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to worship. The reason why I say worship is I think that the problem with us is that we're so ingrained with lying sometimes that we stand up and we sing like, I only have praise for you, Jesus, and that's a lie. In our hearts right now, our hearts are torn. We're, we're, we're dealing with lust or coveting. We're, we're running towards pride, whatever it may be. But we just pretend like that stuff can go away and it's okay to sing these worship songs. But here's the thing. It's, that's a falsity. 
That's a, that's a lie. No, I'm not saying don't worship because I believe there's incredible value in worshiping. But, but don't pretend that everything's okay because what you're doing is you're just pretending for yourself. Some of you are up here like you got your ear and you're trying to hit the note like, oh, I can do this. And that's just, you know, whatever. That's your own thing. But, but here's, here's what I'm saying is, is that it falls into every aspect of our life, into your marriage, into your relationship with friends, where someone comes up to you and says, look, I, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, and you know, like, wow, the Bible says something totally different, but because you're afraid to hurt their feelings, you lie to them. That is not from God. God doesn't want us to lie to protect someone. Just like he doesn't want you to lie in worship towards him when you aren't really worshiping him. But the best part, we've been saying this over and over and over again, is Jesus isn't pulling out some big religious ploy. What he's doing is he's showing how incapable you and I are ever going to be of our righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees and the scribes, except through Jesus Christ alone. See, he's showing us that, that, that he died for the liars. He died for those that cannot be honest, and he, he hung on the cross so that that no longer had to be your burden to carry. So now my request, my plea, my, my contention for you is to stop lying. Stop lying. Allow yourself to be truthful. And here's the thing. People will take advantage of that. And you might get hurt, but at least you're doing what God's calling you to. I pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Um, the fact that we do have absolute truth in you, Jesus Christ, that you've given us your word, the Bible that points to truth. God, I forgive me for lying to my daughter. <laughs> forgive me for putting expectations on my older daughter to actually not let her yes be a yes. Or she actually has to go further and promise me like that has more weight to it. Father, could you just help each of us to be a person that is marked by your Holy Spirit living a life that does not settle for dishonesty or lying or exaggeration or embellishment. God, for those of us in the room that, that are just swimming in this, we're stuck so hard with the lies, the webs are flowing so far from just lame things because we're trying to make some reputation that really doesn't matter, to please people that it doesn't matter. God, would you, would you break down that web? Would you destroy it? Picture this web of lies where just a bowling ball is dropped through and the web is shattered and all that's left is you. Father, for those in the room that, that, that maybe when it comes to their yes into following you, God, that, that is they've been hanging their hat on some fake promise that they maybe may, might have made years ago. But when they look at their life, they realize they've been trying to be some third kind of tree. God, would you reveal to them your grace in that moment? Would you draw them to you in a way that they could, they could know that their yes is Yes. Father, for the many conversations that may happen following this where people have recognized they're wrong and they're, they're, they're lying and they're, they're deceit, God, would you extend grace in those situations? Would you prepare our hearts to receive that? Would you prepare our hearts to pursue reconciliation in it? Father, we, we all fall so short of the righteousness that is expected of us. And for that, I'm so thankful that in Christ, we're white as snow. That in Christ, my righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the scribes. That in Christ, I am free to be honest. Where my yes truly means yes and my no truly means no. 
where I don't have to worry about the reputation of man. My identity is founded on the solid foundation that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. praise you, God, for what you're doing, and we praise you for the work in our hearts. May we be people that are truly marked as honest because of what your Spirit is doing in us for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.